many of you will know, I sat with my mum a month ago and we, we had a funeral last Wednesday. So I, I'm really grateful. I know a lot of people have been praying for us and uh, shared really kind words for us. And I'm really grateful for team and, and staff because of, um, we, we feel really privileged to have been able to have space. Um, so we're really grateful um, for that. Um, and secondly, I just, I'll send you a Nile here, Gareth. They're, they're out, they're out there. So you'd have heard already, I think Rob shared about this, a couple of guys over from Northern Ireland, Billy and Nile. Um, we, they're, they're friends to us here in this church. Stefan and I know them. Uh, they have significant prophetic gifting. Um, and they're, they're going to be out at the gathering service tonight. And I would encourage you, if you can get along, get along, because they really are uh, really good-hearted and, and gifted people. So um, that will be a real blessing to you. Okay, Simply Jesus. This is a big series for us in a church. We're really um, looking forward to this, excited by what uh, we're going to discover um, as we track through this together. What I'm going to do this morning is lay a foundation for our whole series. So I'm going to take some time to do that, and then we'll dig into the Bible and have a look um, at a few verses for um, this morning. Sharing this story. Back in 1804, Thomas Jefferson, who was U.S. President, bought two copies of the King James Bible. And he didn't buy them to read or for his uh, morning devotions. What he did was, over the course of the next couple of weeks, he got out a razor blade and he cut out all of the verses that were supernatural from the Gospels. So he cut out anything around the virgin birth, healings, walking on water, multiplying fishes and loaves, the resurrection. He cut out all of that stuff. And what he got left with was about 10% of the verses in the Gospels. And he published those in a book which he titled The Philosophy of Jesus. What he did was that he remade Jesus. Now, he's not the first person to do that. That's nothing new. Over centuries, people had remade Jesus according to their own culture, their own tastes to fit in with society. A guy called Tom Wright, so who some of you will be familiar with, Tom uh, visited our church last year. He is one of the leading New Testament scholars uh, around the whole world. And he wrote this, he said, every month or two, some publisher comes up with a blockbuster saying that Jesus was a New Age guru, an Egyptian Freemason, or a hippie revolutionary. Every year or two, some scholar comes up with a new book full of imposing footnotes to tell us that Jesus was a peasant cynic, a wandering wordsmith, or the preacher of liberal values. Today, I was redrafting this for publication. A newspaper article appeared about a new controversy initiated by animal rights activists as to whether Jesus was a vegetarian. Remaking Jesus. In the Middle Ages, Jesus was regularly depicted as being a knight in shining armor. Medieval knight. Remaking Jesus. It is easy to find stories that Jesus was actually a closet Buddhist. Some Buddhists claim that Jesus spent time in Kashmir from the ages of 12 to 30, the so-called missing years of the Gospels, where the Gospel stories don't tell us anything about Jesus' life. 
And so Rob has already signposted you to how you can do that. There's no easy way to say it, but you'll miss out if you want to join Christian. There's a whole load of stuff that we're going to unpack um, through that video. So what did Jesus look like? until several centuries after his death and resurrection. Why? A really wise Presbyterian minister back in the 1880s said this to his church as a warning to them not to get carried away with the populist images of Jesus. In other words, seeing paintings and saying, well, that's what he looked like. He gave this as a warning to his church. He said this, If Jesus were particularized or localized, if, for example, he was made a man with a pale face, then the man of the ebony face would feel that there was a greater distance between Christ and him than between Christ and his white robe. Instead, because the Bible refused to describe Jesus in terms of racial features, his gospel could appeal to all. Only in this way could the church be a place where the Caucasian and Asian and African sit together at the Lord's table and we all think alike of Jesus. And we all feel that he is alike our brother. That is good news. That is good news. You know, no matter your ethnic background, what you look like, white, black, survey back in 2017 that found that only 55% of adults in the UK associate Jesus with Easter. 55%. That compared to 76% who associated with chocolate. That's just a little snapshot of our culture. Millions of people have read Dan Brown's book, The Da Vinci Code, and now believe that the fact that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene and they had children together. If you go on to Google and type in Jesus was a space alien, you will find a lot of websites. Don't do it. Trust me, take my word for it. They're not helpful. But you will find a lot out. So what we're going to do over these next, next, next six or seven weeks over this series of length is to think about simply Jesus. Who was he? Who is he? Why would we center our lives around him? Why would we follow him? Who is he? Who is the real Jesus? I'd love to pray for us as we launch into this series before we talk about Jesus. Thank you that you stand as you tower over human history. 
But for every one in, in our church community, you either have a problem or you have a problem with the thing you know God and to fall in love with him. And so the Holy Spirit, would you help us? Lord, would you put power on my words this week and open all of our hearts to receive your spirit in this special time? Amen. If you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at the first few verses of Luke chapter 1 this morning. Luke is the third of the Gospels, at least as they're laid out in, in our Bibles. So the first four verses I'll, I'll read for us this morning. This is Luke's writing. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Sources from outside of the Bible. 
you would know that he existed as a man. You would know that he is called Christos in Greek. That is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word for Messiah. That's what he was called. He was Mary's son. He had a brother named James. He did miracles. He won over both Jewish and Greek converts and followers. You would find from those historical documents that the Jewish leaders of the day didn't like him. You would find that Pontius Pilate took the decision to execute him and that his execution was by crucifixion. And you would find that his execution took place while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. That's what you would find from sources outside of the Bible. Now, if you are like me and you are a reader of the Gospels, you probably thought, well, that's very similar, isn't it? That's, 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 that's really, in fact, if I were writing an account from the Gospels, that would be on my list. Very, very similar. You see, if Jesus never existed, the most obvious line of attack against Christianity in the ancient world would be this. You Christians are believing fake news. That's what the ancients would have said. You are believing fake news. What you're, the story you're peddling is not true. Jesus never actually existed. The problem is, no one ever says that. None of the historians ever said that. No writers at the time, whether Jewish or Roman, or in the centuries after that, ever said that. They never said it. They criticized Jesus. They laid into him in different ways. But they never said he didn't exist. And even today, most historians would agree that someone called Jesus of Nazareth lived 2,000 years ago. The question we then have is, who was he? Who is he? That's the question we have. Who is he? There is loads of evidence outside of the Bible. What about inside? The second way that I believe that we know Jesus is real is through the witness of people like Luke, whose story we started to read this morning. We have a witness of Luke. Luke was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. He accompanied Paul on his last or his third missionary journey. And this is what we read in verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. In other words, what Luke is saying is that his is not the first account. There are other stories as well. Luke is just one of those stories. And we don't precisely know what Luke was referring to, but many scholars would say that it is probably Mark's gospel. That is the primary story that Luke is, is talking about here. And then in verse 2 and 3, what Luke tells us is that his story is not an eyewitness account, but is based on other eyewitnesses. And we're going to come back and think about eyewitnesses in a moment. But what Luke does tell us is that he carefully investigated this account. Luke was a physician, he was a doctor, he was an educated guy, he knew how to analyze story and account and to put it together and to research it. Uh, he knew what he was doing. And we know from the book of Acts that Luke spent about three years in Jerusalem. 
maximum between about AD 56 and AD 59. And the chances are that over those three years, Luke spent a lot of time talking to people who were physically eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus Christ. So, for example, James, Jesus' brother, was involved in the leadership of the church in Jerusalem. And I can imagine over those three years, Luke sitting down with him and saying, Hey, mate, tell me about your brother. Tell me about Jesus. You know that time when, he, when those, those fishes and loaves came? Tell me about it. Can you just imagine the conversations that went on for those three years with, when, with Luke talking to these guys that have been hanging out with Jesus? Tell me. Tell me. I'm, not, I'm writing this book. I've got a deadline. It publishes on me. Tell, tell me your story. Luke was writing those stories down. You know, people over history have, have set out to prove Luke wrong. One was an archaeologist called Sir William Ramsey. He actually went to modern-day Turkey with the intention of investigating the book of Acts so that he could disprove it, to prove that it just wasn't accurate. So this guy, Sir William Ramsey, he went out to Turkey as a skeptic and came back as a believer. Thank you. 
the guest this morning that Jesus is different. And the reason he is different is because he is alive. And the reason he is different is because he is changing lives today. You see, the fourth way that we know that Jesus is real is the witness of changed lives today. That's how we know that Jesus is real. So could you, could you raise a hand if you know that Jesus has changed your life in some way? Could you raise a hand if you know that your life has been impacted by Jesus in some way? That he has touched your life, that he has spoken to you, that he has blessed your life? You might even need to raise two hands if you know that Jesus has touched your life and changed your life in some way, and you now might want to join them together. Jesus is changing lives today. Jesus is changing lives. You know, one of the things that I think can be very helpful in our lives at times is to take some time to think back, to reflect on what Jesus has done in your life. I've done that over the course of this last month. With uh, As we track through, uh, you know, my mum passing away and, you know, just, just know, just interacting with family, and I've taken some time to think, and you know what, one of the things that I have reflected on is just how much Jesus has changed my life in terms of impact. I am not the person that I used to be. I'm not defined by my family upbringing, as much as I'm very grateful for what my parents did, but I am not the person that I could have been, because Jesus is changing my life. which I would encourage you to, to, to ponder on this week. What is Jesus doing in your life right now? What, what is he working on in your life? You know, sometimes it feels like God is on our case. You know that he is putting his finger on something that he wants to change. Or you know there's a season in your life where it's like the Lord is expanding dreams and expanding vision and is activating gifts and, and grace in you. What is Jesus doing in your life right now? And it may be that your reflection is, right now, it feels like for the last year nothing has changed. And you say, if you're really honest, I feel stuck. And for others of you, you would say, that, that I know there are things that Jesus is doing in this season of my life. And as you think about that, I would then encourage you to say, well, what am I doing to cooperate with what Jesus is wanting to do in my life? Am I engaging with the Bible every day? Am I launching myself into worship? Am I doing everything I can to embrace the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit? Are there things that I can be doing to press into the presence of God? Because we know that every good thing starts in His presence. Every good change that God is going to bring into our life will start in the presence of God. So what am I doing? What, what can I be doing to launch myself into I don't know what Jesus is going to do, but at least I'm going to do that. At least I'm going to do that. What is Jesus doing in your life today? You know, here's the, one of the, here's the thing I wanted to share this morning. Your story of change, when it becomes part of his story, is super powerful. Your story of how 
Jesus has been touching and changing your life is super practical. Your story of a changed life is a beautiful thing. Has immense power potential. But only if it is shared with someone else. You see, if it stays a secret, it's a beautiful secret, I'm sure. But it's still a secret. It has power when our story becomes part of his story. And our life is changed, points to his story. See, I believe that for every one of us, God is writing a new story. He's writing it in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He's creating a new story for us. And it's a story that is not defined by our past. If you've been here over the last few weeks, we've just tracked through a series on life beyond. Our story does not have to be defined by our past or our present. There is a life beyond guilt and shame and discouragement and bitterness and envy. There is a life beyond our past and our upbringing. There is a life beyond because Jesus is making all things new. Jesus is writing a new story. And he wants to do that in and through our lives. You see, he's constantly writing a new story. And our story becomes part of his story. And that's where the power lies. Because when we allow our story to become part of his story, change becomes possible. Because you see, the thing that I love about Jesus is that it's all about him. It's all about him. You see, I believe that Jesus is, is, our lives are at their best when Jesus is the center of gravity of our lives. The way that our lives are designed to work is Jesus is the center of gravity and our supreme around him. If we don't have that center of gravity, we go off in orbit somewhere. Our lives are designed to have Jesus as their center of gravity. Simply Jesus. No one else. Nothing else. Simply Jesus. Simply. Do you think we can remember that? Simply Jesus. New purpose. New meaning. A new story. Being part of that story of all things being made new again. Simply Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'd love us to pray. I'd love us to pray. You know, I, I don't want to take it for granted that any day we get up, we don't go down yesterday. And so I want to simply pray a prayer that, that, that for all of us, we would, we would say yes to Jesus today. Because you may be here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus before. I, w- I would love you to, to resonate this in your heart and to give your yes to Jesus today. But as I say, this is for all of us. Don't take it for granted that you're going to follow him today. Make a decision. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Jesus, thank you that you are a very, very real God. Jesus, thank you that we see you standing as just like this
God, Jesus, I say yes. I open my heart to you. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, help me to live the kind of life that is changing as my story becomes part of your story. That my life will bear witness to your story. That my life will be part of writing a new story in this world. So Jesus, I give my yes to you today. In your precious name. Amen.